Welcome, everyone. The Bastards are back for this Friday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Pittsburgh Pirates, winning the series two games to one. They are currently still in last place in the American League East, one game under five hundred. They are five games back of the final wild card spot and 14 games back out of first place. Quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Coming off the bench tonight, filling in for Andrew Dwan from the city of Canton, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason? Yeah, yeah, I'm pinch hitting tonight. Um, been a while since I've been on the midweek show, so a little bit of a weird feeling, but uh, good to be back with you and Job, and a um, little bit of a lackluster series against Pittsburgh, even though they won two out of three, but boy, watching that Pittsburgh team is just kind of depressing. <laughs> just, man, not, not a whole lot going on there, so as much as we may bemoan how the Red Sox are doing and, you know, not not exactly living up to expectations. At least we're not the Pittsburgh Pirates. Thank God for that. Hein Bloom's probably jealous. He's like, oh, I wish we could blow it up like those guys yeah. and suck this bad and have a top three pick every year, even though there's a lottery now. But so many prospects. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and also joining us tonight from the nation's capital by way of Newport, Rhode Island, Joe Goddard. Joe? Well, it's always fun to be joined by you and Jason. I think the only time we've ever done a show, the three of us, has been in a pinch hit situation. So um, that's true. It's going to be fun. That's true. We got to keep uh, Andrew and Charlie away from each other. So the consequence to that is, is you guys are never, uh, you know, lined up for, for half the season. But, uh, but we're together tonight. So. Uh, so it's, it's a little, uh, you know, you win the series, which is what you want, but we actually lost a half a game in the wild card standings. I think we were four and a half, uh, coming out of it. And then I think we got up to four. So you, you gained a half a game. And then tonight we, uh, laid the golden turd and, uh, <laughs> dropped that one pretty bad. We were down six to nothing and not going to lie. I, uh, dozed off for the last inning or two. So. We did get two runs on there somehow. I also dozed off last night, I think, for just the last inning. So I didn't get to see Familia pitch. But looking at the line, uh, that wasn't that great for him. Three hits, one earned run. But, but yeah, so uh, series win. So we'll just get right into studs and duds. Uh, let's see, Job, you are in the leadoff spot, so go ahead. Who's your stud for the series? 
Well, I, I want to start by saying that it, it's easy to pick a stud when you're playing a lineup that Dennis Eckersley describes as pathetic. Um, <laughs> it really is, especially you know on the pitching side. But I'm going offense with this time around. Uh, I'm going to take Alex Verdugo as my stud in this series. A couple of numbers for Verdugo, and of course I, I put them away right as soon as I need them. Um, Verdugo was one for four tonight. So people might think, oh, I don't know about Verdugo. Verdugo's been on absolute fire. Um, he was five for 13 in this series. He did only have one RBI, uh, two walks, um, and he did get caught stealing tonight. So it doesn't jump off the page. But his last seven games uh, as a sample, he's nine for 23, six runs scored, three RBIs, four walks, three strikeouts. He's hitting better in the middle of the lineup than J.D. Martinez's hit at any point this season. It's a breath of fresh air between Xander singles and J.D. strikeouts looking. Um, so it's it's been good to watch. And if Verdugo can stay hot and Arroyo can stay hot, it keeps the team alive for another episode. So yeah, good series. Uh, we should have taken three out of three. So bitter taste in my mouth, but Verdugo's my stud. Jason. Yeah, yeah, he's he's been hitting well, and the thing is, like, he's he doesn't jump off the page because he doesn't hit power still, which is kind of annoying. You you wish you know with his frame and his swing, he should be able to hit for more power, but he just doesn't. Um, he's not a big home run hitter. I don't know if he ever will be, but yeah. So he's getting on base. He's setting he's setting the pace in the middle of the lineup, and I think people complain, especially here in Boston, because of the lack of power, but you know what? If JD Martinez and Xander Bogarts are just going to become singles hitters themselves anyways, then at least Alex Verdugo can do it at a pretty good clip where he has been lately. Like you said, nine for his last 23. So I'll take that over Xander Bogarts hitting singles when it doesn't matter. And there's nobody on base and you know, the game's already over. So Verdugo has been, he's been hot. He's been finding that swing lately and, you know, I, I kind of feel for him in a way because he gets moved around the lineup a lot. You know, like at times he was the number two hitter. He was a leadoff hitter. Now he's back sort of in the middle. And I think Alex Cora is still trying to figure out where the best spot for Alex Verdugo really is. But he's he's been good. He's been getting on base. He's been having good at bats. The walks are great. It's, it's nice to see him drawing out at bats that way too. So, And he doesn't strike out. And he doesn't strike out. Yeah, so you can't really go wrong there. I mean, I've seen J.D. Martinez swing and miss way more than Alex Verdugo. And people seem to have more affinity for J.D. And, you know, seem to look at him as more of a centerpiece of this lineup. And it's like, J.D. to me is not that hitter anymore. Alex Verdugo is kind of taking his spot just with less power. So I'm okay with what Verdugo, Verdugo is doing. Um, you know, like I said, not much power, but... He's getting on base, whether it's by hits or by walks. He's not striking out, and he's still playing pretty good defense. So, And he's in there every single day, too. That's another thing. Like This guy doesn't miss a day. He, he hasn't been hurt. He's been pretty healthy all year. So, you know, good for him. He, he's, he's been really solid this year. Has he been like an absolute superstar? No. But I'll take a solid everyday player over a lot of these other guys in this lineup. So... I'm impressed. Verdugo is actually on base 
five times in the second game. He was three for three in the batter's box, but he drew two walks. So uh, basically on base every time he came up. And other than perhaps Devers, who's been consistent all year, didn't have a great series uh, this time around, but um, other than maybe him, Verdugo has been your MVP of the second half. Just absolutely reliable. Jason hit the nail on the head. He's actually been in the, he was in the four spot uh, the whole series and, and has been for the last couple of weeks or so and has been very productive there. He's been in right field basically since Tommy Pham was acquired and has done everything you could you could really ask uh, for him. I'm kind of surprised his name was virtually not brought up at all at the trade deadline. It wouldn't make a ton of sense anyway because we're so thin as far as outfield depth, and I think we have him for two more years beyond this, but he would have been a guy I would have assumed would have been in demand, like Bloom was probably taking calls for him, but just just been incredible this this second half and uh i i couldn't be more thrilled is is he a guy that like what kind of a contract is he gonna get when he comes up because you're probably gonna start hearing about that next season the chirps for an extension will start uh you know start being had and and why not lock him up I mean, I, I think the concerns for him has always been the back, right? He had a bad back in in L.A. He had a bad back in the minors. I don't know if they'll lock him up long, long term. Um, but like Jason said, he plays every day. He doesn't care if he's playing left, right. He can't play center. Um, but, but he's hitting consistently, and he is your MVP of the second half alongside Arroyo. I mean, the other guy I mentioned, Devers is hitting 155 over the last 30 games. It's not him. Um, J.D. Martinez has no power. Xander Bogart's no power. Um, this lineup doesn't have a lot of power, so it's tough to, to really judge it that way. But I think he's looking at something like what you'd expect to pay you know, a younger version of Tommy Pham because that's, that's what he is. They're very similar hitters as far as put the ball in play. He's going to hit a little bit better for average than Tommy Pham did in, in his Tampa days. But that's probably the contract he's looking at, uh, probably somewhere in the fourteen to sixteen million dollar a year range, if I had to guess. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't overextend money wise for Alex Verdugo because he is what he is. He's a two sixty two seventy five hitter, not a ton of power, like I said, um, and you know it, Joe brought up his back. He has had back issues in the past, but. So far, he's been pretty healthy during his stint with the Red Sox, luckily, so that's good. I don't know if the back problems are really behind him or, you know, you can never really tell, especially with that kind of injury. It may pop up at any moment. He is still pretty young. He's still in his mid-20s, so there's a chance down the road that it, it creeps back up on him. Um, but, you know, he's a solid defender. Not great, not bad, but just solid. Um, not a great base runner, again, not much power. So 
again, I, I would give him anywhere between, you know, 11 and 14, $15 million. I, I think is fine over a three or four year deal. If he's looking for anything beyond that, I, I think you just kind of let him walk because it, this is not a guy that you should be breaking the bank for. He, he's a good player. He's a really good, solid player. And if he's the kind of guy that if the rest of your lineup is firing on all cylinders, he's a really good complementary piece to that. If you're trying to build an entire lineup around him, he's not that guy. I mean, he he's never will. Yeah, he, he could be. He could be like a Benintendi. Yeah, I think he's actually better than Benintendi, quite frankly, because I, I think he's just a little bit more consistent and he's not just a singles hitter. He can hit gaps and he's got a better swing, better approach. He Again, he has potential for more power. I don't know why it's not coming through, but I, I think he's a little bit better than Benintendi. So I would actually wait and see what kind of contract Benintendi ends up with on his next deal and then based off of that. I think you guys are in the neighborhood of what he'll get, um, you know, 12 to 14, 12 to 15, something like that. Uh, sounds about right. He is, he turned 26 in May, so he'll basically be a free agent uh, in his age 29 season. So a five-year deal takes him through age 34, I don't think you hate that. Uh, the hope will probably be to have someone in your outfield, you know, that's more productive. I don't know if that ends up being Nick York, for instance, um, because we do have a bit of a log jam in the infield uh, as far as long term goes with prospects. And um, especially if Xander does get re-signed because you'll, you'll have him for five plus years, you'll have um, Trevor story for five more years, but I just feel like Verdugo is a guy who could be had fairly cheap and I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, what if, I guess it wouldn't make as much sense this winter, but perhaps the next winter going into his walk year, giving him that somewhat team friendly deal. What would, let's see, five years at 15 million so that'd be a 75 overall um so i would pay that 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 would be a, probably about tops if he's willing to sign it if he goes just off the charts next year then he's got less incentive to to sign early or you know take a discount so just something I think that to might watch. be that might be the winter signing though terry that might be the Mid-February, this team has done nothing. Why don't we have anybody let's appease the fan base signing? Let's yeah. extend. Sorry we couldn't sign Devers. <laughs> exactly. Sorry that Devers is going to go yeah, somewhere else and make a lot of money and get a lot of home runs. But Here's five more years of Verdugo. You know, that uh, would actually probably piss me off. Um, and, and Verdugo is more of a bloom guy, right? I mean, he's the I mean, only. Verdugo is the bloom guy. He's, he's the, the only. Staple, the first guy he brought in. Salvation from the Mookie deal. Jeter Downs, I haven't followed up, but he left the game with a bad knee injury tonight. I don't know if that was a hamstring or something. He couldn't play to begin with. Yeah. yeah he essentially already blew it, but he's gone. I don't think Connor Wong's gotten a really a fair look, but apparently Bloom's not even high on him. And who do you got left? That's it from the Mookie deal. Verdugo, I mean, at this point, yeah. he's brought in uh, Alex Beinlas, 
couple other guys. And this is where this is where Andrew gets really animated, Jason, right? He gets really <laughs> upset when we talk about all these guys in single and double A that I don't know their names and I don't care because they're not helping this team for the next three years. And only one of them is going to be a major leaguer in the end of the day. So, I mean, Terry, when you talk about how we have a logjam, I mean, if we have a logjam of guys that turn out to be Jeter Downs, we're screwed. So I'm yeah. at the point where you and, on, sign big league talent. And then what if Marcelo Meyer becomes the next coming of Yuan Moncada, which wouldn't be the worst ever, but drastically short of what the expectations are. I um, mean, if he's not at least uh, – Somewhere in the Fernando Tatis Jr. range. Well, I don't know if you want to go there at this point. (laughs) Roids. Did his dad do roids? I keep seeing jokes about how there could be residual. I yeah, I don't think Tatis Sr. was ever busted for it. Okay. Um, I mean, he was kind of an average player his whole career, so I would hope not because you know you're gonna do roids at least be good. He he was pretty much average his whole career so yeah i don't think he ever got popped yeah i think if meyer becomes like what lindor was with cleveland that's a that's a big win and hopefully a a decent comp but we'll see i guess he's tearing it up right now but yeah all right where are we uh joe go ahead no jason i'm sorry go ahead your stud for the series yeah, my stud, I'm going to go with Rich Hill. Um, actually, a pretty decent start from him. And this is a guy that I wrote off, I think, on the last show, the last weekend show I did, where I said that he was just cooked, um, didn't have anything left in the tank. He has not really been great in this second half. He came off the injured list and hasn't looked very good. But against Pittsburgh, he did decent. I mean, you know, five innings, four Ks, only gave up two runs. Um, it was really just Brian Reynolds that burned him. And let's face it, Brian Reynolds is their best player. And he crushed the Red Sox his whole series. I think three home runs for him uh, all through the series. I mean, he absolutely dominated you. Um, so, and look, he's a really good player. I'm surprised he wasn't dealt at the deadline, quite frankly, because a lot of teams wanted him. Uh, Pittsburgh hang, hung on to him and he burnt you. So, you know, n- you know, not the best start from Rich Hill. He wasn't lights out, but... For a guy who could barely get out of the third inning in his previous starts, he did pretty well. Gave you five solid, kept you in it. And look, your offense exploded that day. You scored eight runs. So, you know, he didn't have to do a whole lot. He just had to just not make it a complete mess. And that's what he did. So at this point with Rich Hill, you're just banking on whatever you can get that's decent. Just get as much out of him as you can at this point because – he does not have much at all left in the tank. I mean, this is one of his better starts against a really bad offense. I would not want to see Rich Hill against like a Toronto or a New York or Houston or any of these other really good teams because he will get absolutely smacked around. So you put him up there against Pittsburgh. He did okay. Only allowed a couple of runs and he won the game. So you'll take it at this point from Rich Hill. So, He's my stud only because he didn't completely crap his pants. Um, just happy to see him get a win. And, you know, let, let's hope that he at least has one more or at least a couple more good starts in him. But at this point, just take what you can get. Uh, take what you can get is right. At this point, he's David Justice 
at the end of his career with the Oakland A's, right? I make that reference because of Moneyball. Like they're trying to milk the last bit of baseball out of him, and he's given it his all. He looked pretty good uh, against the Pirates, admittedly, double uh, A lineup uh, for the most part, with the exception of Reynolds, who he couldn't beat, who's probably the only major league talent out of the nine hitters that he was facing. But I, I do want to point out Pittsburgh did something that not a lot of teams do against Rich Hill, and they had a lot of lefties in the lineup, and that's because they don't have a lot of talented right handed hitters. But uh, Rich Hill was eating up those lefties. Weak contact. I think three of his four strikeouts were against lefties. Teams don't do that with Rich Hill. They put eight righties in the lineup. He can't use his big sweeping breaking ball, and he's trying to get by on 89 miles an hour. When when he's able to face lefties, he's all right. And that actually is, is one of the reasons I'm in favor of, of giving him the ball again, hopefully out of the bullpen, down the stretch because I think he can be pretty good in the right spot. He just doesn't have much left as far as pure talent. It's just all grit with him. I guess, I mean, I, I feel like I'm surprised he looks so good. Looking at his home and away splits, perhaps I shouldn't have been so surprised. Um on the road, he's pitching to a 3.44 ERA, uh, and that's in 11 starts. At home, he's got a 6.82 ERA, so just gets absolutely torched at Fenway Park this season. And uh, Job kind of stole my thunder, like with him looking absolutely milked, like completely milked, got nothing left. Um, that's what it's looked like at times. But he was solid again uh, in Pittsburgh, which looks more like a a pitcher friendly park than what I would have assumed. There were a lot of PNC is like Texas. There's a lot of fly balls that were just dying out there, and uh, you know this is. Ideally, probably one of the better months for hitters historically. And um, so a little surprise there. I, I was a little annoyed, too, to see that he got the start. I thought it, it should have been Winkowski, but they went with Hill. And um, he gave up two runs early. So I was especially haunted by that in the first couple innings, but settled down. You got five out of him. He actually got credited for the win. So I'll definitely take it. Yeah. I mean, P like, he's like Job said, PNC is huge. It's deceptively big. That left center field is not fun for right-handed hitters. So um, maybe, maybe that's why Rich Hill lucked out. And like he said, his road splits, his road home splits are ridiculous. I can't believe he's that bad at Fenway. Um, but yeah, he was on the road in a big ballpark. So, Maybe that's part of what helped him out. It's the Martin Perez effect. Just being at Fenway really hurts the lefties that don't have gas. It just does. Absolutely, yeah. If Hill wants to continue his career, uh, Pittsburgh would be good. Oakland would be good. A park uh, like those. Yeah, Seattle even. Maybe, uh, I don't know. Robbie Ray isn't getting it done out there. but, But, yeah. All right, so my... Stud for the series is Nick Pavetta, who seems to be back on his horse. Uh, 
after a prolonged um I don't streak know if, of sucking. Yes, that's the better way to put it. Absolutely. Um Pavetta, his actual line was seven innings pitched uh, with only one hit. He did walk three, struck out six. What's especially impressive about his performance is in the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh innings, he didn't allow a single base runner. Nobody got on base. If you want to go back as far as the third inning, you could say he didn't give up a hit. So that was his last five innings uh, without a hit, but he did allow a walk to Newman and kind of, you know, had some traffic uh, on the bases in the first two innings. But like I said, settled down and and quite frankly, shut them down uh, basically after the second inning. So an absolutely impressive performance if we are going to stay relevant as we've desperately been hoping for since the trade deadline you're going to need a guy like Nick Pavetta to to give you that performance every time out six or seven innings rest that bullpen and um we'll we'll still have a fighting chance Jason yeah, honestly, the only thing that was a shame about Pavetta's performance is that his pitch count got too high, and he had to be pulled after the seventh. He was up to 99 pitches. I would let then, him go. Yeah, I, well, I mean, maybe, but again, for a team that's still trying to somewhat be in it, burning out your best pitcher when the rest of your staff is basically a mash unit, maybe not the best idea. But uh, yeah, it was just a shame that he had to come out after the seventh because then a certain someone – uh, had to come in after that, who we'll get to later, who nearly gave the game away. But he was great. Um, Nick Pavetta, I think, honestly, I think Nick Pavetta is more important for this team going forward than Nathan Avaldi is. Because I think when Pavetta is on, he's like, he's ace material. I mean, he can go, because he can go deep into games. Ivaldi rarely ever did that. Pavetta can throw you can complete game shutout if he's absolutely on and he you know doesn't have too many walks and the pitch count doesn't get too high. So he's extremely important. And you know that he's going to stay healthy with Evaldi. You just, you know, I mean, at any point, you know, he could have a twinge in his back and then he goes back on the IL. So Pavetta is hugely important for this team going forward. You need more performances like this. Again, you do have to throw in the caveat. It was against the Pittsburgh pirates who absolutely blow and have no offense whatsoever. But it's still good. It's still good to see Pavetta go out there and do what he should do against a bad team with a bad offense. So, like I said, the only downside to his performance that I can say is that, you know, the pitch count got too high and he had to turn it over to this crappy bullpen. But otherwise, he was great. Absolutely dynamite. And like you said, they're going to need a lot more performances like this from him if they want to stay in this. Well, uh, Jason pretty much said it all. He was attacking hitters early. He was on top of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Again, double-A lineup. They're not a big league lineup, um, so take that with a grain of salt. That being said, there's only three stars left that matter if we, if we don't win the next couple of series. He's got one against Baltimore. He'll get one against Toronto and one against Tampa. His next three starts. So if we see the Pavetta that we saw for the first portion of the year, 
and then again in July, I think we're screwed. But if we get to Pavetta, that can go seven shutout innings and limit the bullpen usage to the guys at the back end of the bullpen like Whitlock. I think we're in good shape as far as as far as that goes. He is the anchor, and this team goes as he goes because I'll tell you what, this offense is not the juggernaut they were cut out to be. They're, they're not what we were sold on. They're not matching their way. So we kind of have to get by, and this team goes as Pavetta goes. I got nothing really left. I mean, this team just has to be tougher. You know, they they have to rise to the occasion and be tough enough to make the postseason. And we'll see. You know, these next few shows will uh, will kind of tell the story, I feel like. Uh, let's get into honorable mentions here. Um, admittedly, I didn't already go through this. Uh, looking through it, Christian Arroyo had uh, a very good series. He was 0 for 4 in the finale with three strikeouts, but 3 for 5 in game 2, drove in 3. Uh, 1 for 4 with a RBI in game 1. Really... I mean, he's giving you what you were hoping to get out of Trevor Story, but perhaps just a couple less home runs. He's just been one of your, probably your third best hitter in the last month or so. Any thoughts on Arroyo? It doesn't get much better than what he's giving you. Yeah, and honestly, it's just a shame that he can't stay healthy because honestly, if he could, if he was healthy and was durable for at least 130, 140 games, I don't feel like you would have had to sign Trevor Story. You could have just had Christian Arroyo play second base. And yeah, he wouldn't have, you know, he's not going to hit 280 all the time. He's not going to have three hit games all the time. You'll give up some power. But when he's on and he's he's playing well, he's a good hitter. And he's a decent defender. He's probably not as good as Story. I think Story's a better defender, but it's a good player. It's just a shame that he's made of glass and, you know, can't stay off the IL for more than a couple of weeks. So it's nice to see him performing now that he's healthy and now that he's back and especially with story out. But it does make you wonder, you know, if Christian Arroyo was durable, would they have ever had to sign Trevor story in the first place? I think the answer is no, <laughs> but uh, I agree. There's not much more you can ask from a guy that doesn't get consistent at bats because if he could play 140 games, I think he'd only get better. Um, and he's hitting 270 as it is. I think he's probably close to a 270, 280 hitter. And he's he's going to get paid somewhere to be a super utility guy. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets an everyday role somewhere. He is hitting since the All-Star break, which is uh, only 17 games, but decent enough sample size. He's hitting 365 with a 403 on base uh just one home run but that just kind of speaks to it let me just pull up real quick i think he's controllable for quite a while here let's see i got it right here i believe he's got two more years right he does okay i thought it might have been a at least another year beyond that but 
two more years, we'll take it. That kind of that gets you closer to. I mean, he's making one point two million, so at that point, I mean, yeah, it's almost a no brainer to keep him. As annoying as the injuries are, but um, and that kind of you know completes the bridge to some of those prospects we have in the middle infield. So. Um, not so much that it was an honorable mention, but, uh, Kike Hernandez, uh, returned, uh, did drive in a, a couple runs though. Uh, one, uh, was on a, on a sack fly, but, uh, one for eight in the series. Good to have him back. I mean, that's a little bit more, uh, excuse me, a little bit less of Jaron Duran at that point. And you, you got, uh, Kike flanked by Fam on one side and uh, Verdugo on the other. Any thoughts on Kike? Good to have him back. Makes the lineup a little bit deeper. Anything without Duran in the outfield, I think, is a good thing for this team. Duran should be used in pinch running situations only at this point. Yeah, I agree. Um, the less Jaron Duran, the better. So, you know, he's. I don't. I still don't think Kike's all the way back, which is understandable. He's missed so much time. Um, that sack fly in game one, I, like you got to think if that's in Fenway, that was a grand slam. I mean, he, he really got a hold of that one. I thought it was gone off the bat. It just, you know, again, so PN, PNC is a cavern. Yeah. Especially in left field. So, uh, it just wasn't quite there. So that was a nice swing. It was good to see him, see him do that. Um, but yeah, I'll take it. I mean, look, it, he, he's going to take a while to get back up to speed, but I'll take it over Jaron Duran any day. Uh, one more honorable mention I want to bring up, Terry, before we move on, is uh, Hirokazu Samimura, who had two no-hit innings, or two innings, one hit, rather, in this in this uh, series, but now has one run allowed in his last seven appearances, which spans seven innings. Um, and he's got a zero ERA in, in August. So as of now, he's become a shutdown guy on the road. Um, and that's one arm deeper. I was going to actually get to the pitching next, but yeah, absolutely. His splitter seems to be the difference. He seems to have rediscovered it and uh, made it a more uh, prominent pitch out of his arsenal. So he, he has uh, looked very good and um, actually only struck out one in that um in that appearance, but, uh, the, the strikeouts have definitely ticked upward. Uh, Ryan Brazier also, uh, I'm not sure if there's a rhyme or reason for it, but, uh, in his one appearance, he struck out the side. So, uh, looks good. He seems to look good against teams outside of the division. It seems like when you, when you get him in there against the Yankees, Toronto, Tampa, Brazier tends to get lit up. So, uh, hopefully he just he just pulls it together. But Jason, any thoughts on either of them? Yeah, I think again, I think these are guys that are low leverage pitchers. So yeah, against the Pittsburgh Pirates on the road and not quite a an important game, they pitch well. And I agree. Like you put these guys in Yankee Stadium, they're gonna melt. So they're they're decent. I mean, they're doing what they should be doing. I'm more of a fan of Salamora than I am Brazier. I think Brazier's just average at best i think he's just up against a bad lineup salamora has a plus splitter i mean that that splitter is nasty when he's got it going so he at least has the potential to go on a real run 
and really become sort of a not dominant reliever, but at least someone that you know can can get hitters on edge and, and make them uncomfortable with that change of direction and that splitter. So hopefully he's rediscovered it. Hopefully this is the start of him going on a second half run. Um, but yeah, it, neither of these guys, I would say I fully 100% trust in high leverage situations going forward, especially against tougher American league opponents. The interesting thing here is Salamora's deal is up. So I, you just wonder if they'll bring him back. I almost feel like they kind of have to, I mean, You'll have Hauk and Whitlock, I, and I'm going to boldly say that Whitlock probably does stay in the bullpen regardless of what the rhetoric is uh, for next year, but you, you need bodies, and I just don't... I feel like we're short now. I feel like we're at least one arm short now in the pen uh, after getting rid of Diekman uh, in the um, Reese McGuire trade there, but... We'll see. I mean, I, I don't have strong feelings one way or the other, but you, you do need bodies in that bullpen. Yeah, you might as well bring him back because I think it would be short money. I think it's just it's a familiar kind of team-friendly deal that he would take. To make up the absence of him and Diekman and any other arms you might lose, you'd have to spend a lot of money to, yeah. to build a bullpen around that. And let's face it, we have a GM who doesn't like to spend money, so... I think they would bring back Salamora because, again, he, he's familiar and it wouldn't cost him too much. And there's no market for him, so he's coming back. And even if there was a little bit of a market, it just seems like those guys that come over from the Asian countries, when they're when they're comfortable with a situation, they they would just rather stay. Um, you know, we to this day we still see Koji Uihara trying to campaign for us. You know, I think one instance might have been the the Suzuki uh, deal that you know. Let's we we never bring him up, but are we glad the Red Sox didn't win those sweepstakes? He hasn't been terrible, but he he's certainly not the outfielder we we would have been hoping for. I um, it just, I just want I, them to spend money on somebody. <laughs> just show me you're willing to open the book a little bit. Yeah, well. We're going to be getting to that in the coming weeks, but I, I think that the seat for Bloom is uh, a little bit warmer than last winter. I wouldn't say it's necessarily hot, but but uh, you see a lot of empty seats out in Fenway, and, and at times it feels like we're even the away team in our own stadium because we get bombarded by you know fans from the opposing team. So we'll see. We'll see. All right, let's get over to the duds side of it. Uh, Joe, go ahead. Who's your dud for the series? Well, th this one was was easy. Uh, we're going with Josh Winkowski, who just simply did not have it tonight. If you can't beat this lineup, you can't beat any lineup. That's that's what my new my new hashtag uh, hashtag Pittsburgh sucks. Um, he just didn't have any of his pitches tonight. No command. No desire to go after hitters after the first inning. He frankly looked like a deer in headlights after that first home run that he gave up. And I'm not going to lie. I thought, you know, okay, the Red Sox did this last night with Rich Hill. Everybody's available in the bullpen. We got an off day coming up. 
here after Baltimore. We can, you know, piece this together if we could score some runs. And then as soon as they opened up to 4 nothing, the game was over. Um, offense didn't show up tonight, which has been a common theme throughout the season. But, again, your starting pitchers can't be going three-plus, four innings, and, and giving up eight runs. That's just not a recipe for winning. Yeah. Um, are we all ready to finally admit that the Red Sox lost the Andrew Benatendi trade? <laughs> are, are the Illuminati are the finally ready to, you know, give that battle up? Because all I heard for the last year is, well, just wait till Winkowski. Just wait till Josh Winkowski comes up. Oh, don't don't pay attention to Franchi. No, it's all about Winkowski. And the other two no-name players who have, you know, been lost to time that we'll never hear about that, you know, we're, we're in that trade. Are we finally ready to admit that they lost that trade, that Kyan Bloom completely blew that trade? It, it's it's embarrassing. This guy cannot pitch. He First of all, he's sackless. Okay, the minute he gives up a run, Josh Winkowski wilts. He, he's unlike, you know, like, the opposite of a Nick Pavetta or a Nathan Avaldi who, if they give up runs, they battle back. They just kind of take a deep breath and they go, okay, I'm still in this. Josh Winkowski, like Job said, the minute he gives up a run, he gets a deer in the headlights look. It, he reminds me a little bit of Alan Webster. Remember Alan Webster? Oh, that's a great guy, like, that guy looked like he was terrified every time he took the mound. And as soon as he started giving up runs, he looked like he wanted to cry. And I just, I get Alan Webster vibes from Josh Winkowski. Their numbers They're, are eerily similar now that you mention it. Uh, right. Winkowski, in his last seven starts, as a six seven five ERA. I mean, there's nothing special about this guy. He's just he's just another body. He's a four A pitcher at best. And this was supposed to be your big prize from the Andrew Benatendi trade. Absolute absolute loss. Like total absolute bad trade. So I just I I'm good not seeing Winkowski start another game. I'm sure that we will because the Red Sox have no one else to throw out there. So he'll get another start somewhere down the road, and he'll he'll probably have a start where he goes five innings, gives up three runs, strikes out a couple of guys, and all the Bluminati will come back out of the woodwork and go, oh, see, he battled through that one. He's still there. He, he still has something. No, no. This guy's a bad pitcher. He stinks. I don't want to see him on the mound ever again. I know that I'm going to have to, but I really don't want to. Um, again, you gave up six runs to the Pittsburgh effing Pirates. Like, how bad do you have to be? So it's just, it's embarrassing. Uh, like, they should not have lost a game to this team. And I know it was a late scratch. It was supposed to be a Valdi late scratch. That happens fine. But to give up six runs against that lineup, you've got to really stink. So it's just embarrassing. And I, I'm so done with Josh Winkowski crap. Well, next time the Illuminati say anything to you, Jason, you should throw this back in their face. His last 15 starts, he's averaging 2.4 strikeouts per. That is not big league stuff in any way, shape, or form. And tonight he looked like it. I love the term Illuminati. I've been throwing it out on Twitter quite a bit, including, I think, yesterday when I was like, you know, the Illuminati hates us so much, but we're here for it. Yeah, four out of five of us not Bloom 
you know, people. Uh, Andrew is the one resident guy that um, sticks up for him a lot. But um, so I, on one hand, the Josh Winkowski apologist can come out and be like, well, you know, Brian Reynolds did all the damage, four runs. It, it was mostly him tuning him up. But on the other side, um, the strikeouts just aren't coming. He's just not striking guys out. And if you're trying to audition for the five spot next year, you're going to need to start striking some guys out. So um, I don't think the, you know, the final verdict will get rendered on him this year. I think they'll probably try to discover something this winter and he'll still get some looks either way next year. Um, one guy who we saw last year in a much smaller sample size that I thought had no chance whatsoever to do anything with us this year was Cutter Crawford. So if anybody still wants to be a, a Winkowski optimist, I, I think there's still at least a small possibility they can they can find him. I still love his Wrigley Field quote when he's like, eh, you know, it was okay. It wasn't special pitching here. I still love that. And, uh, you know, if if he ends up, you know, discovering something and being more viable, I think he certainly has the personality for Boston. But Well, I think the five, the five pitcher is Cutter Crawford. You just mentioned it. If he's anything more than your five next year, then Heim Bloom didn't do his job this offseason. Well, who do we have, really? I mean, Sale for now, even though I think he's destined for the bullpen. He, he's, you know, a half a season He's destined away. for the injured list, but okay. Yeah, well, hopefully that's part of the solution there, uh, you know, keeping them off of it. But, but I mean, he's going to sail next year, and however many starts he does make, he's going to be approaching 70 or 80 pitches by the end of the third inning. So, I mean, that's just not sustainable. Um, so that, that's kind of my logic for him going into the pen, but, but you don't really don't have anybody. I mean, Waka, who knows? I mean, a team might overpay for him based on what he's done. Um, I certainly wouldn't want him back for anything more than a two year deal. And I think somebody will give him more than that. Um, who else? Hill is gone in all likelihood. Um, Evaldi, I mean, maybe he come, maybe he slight chance he gets the qualifying offer still. I doubt he's going to sign a one year deal just to stay here. So I think Crawford potentially could be your three or four guy, depending on how much money Bloom wants to put in that rotation. Well, now that I look at it, he will be your three or four guy because of the money that's committed elsewhere and the fact that we don't have anybody under on, you know, under contract for next season. But if he's your number three going into the season, then Heim Bloom didn't go get a guy. And we need at least one, if two. not two. I think two minimum. Two viable options. And Winkowski is not a viable option, as we just illustrated. Well, don't don't forget, you'll have uh, James Paxton once he picks up his, what, four or $5 million player option, which four he million. absolutely will. So, yeah. So you'll have him whenever he decides to get his ass back on the mound. But, yeah. <laughs> and, and he's very finicky. Mechanics go on and off for him throughout a season. He's Jordan Montgomery. Weird like, injuries bro. too. Uh, the glute injury is my favorite. I didn't. I had to Google what the hell a glute was to figure out why he was on the. And it's it's an yeah. ass muscle for anyone in the audience. 
He pulled his ass muscle uh, when he was a Yankee. I, he only missed a start or two, but still, it's a guy with some weird injuries, and I think he's going to be 34, 35 next year. So. Yeah. I, I can relate. I got glute injuries watching this Red Sox team. I, you know, <laughs> I got a pulled ass every time I see them lose to the Pirates. Yeah. Just a pain in the glute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, all right. Uh, let's see. Jason, go ahead. Dud for the series. Yeah. Speaking of pain in the glutes, uh, my dud for the series is big fudge himself, Austin Davis. Uh, three and a third innings pitch. He gave up five runs in the series. His ERA is close to six now. Um, the only thing redeemable about Austin Davis is that he can strike guys out. Um, so he, he can miss bats when when he's on. But this guy is just, he's a junk reliever. I mean, any, anywhere else, like he'd be a 4A pitcher. He'd be up and down from the minors. Like he doesn't belong on a major league staff. And again, it just, it's another opportunity for me to kind of rip a high on bloom trade. But you traded Michael Chavis for this guy. And look, Michael Chavis is not having an MVP season by any means. He's, you know, he's been okay. But he's better than Bobby. He's been better than Bobby. Right. 12 homers, 245 average. He still strikes out a ton. So that stinks. But he's had a pretty decent year in Pittsburgh. And given what we've had to go through at first base, having to eventually trade for Eric Hosmer, and having to basically beg San Diego to eat all of his contract just so we could have a real first baseman here, Michael Chavis could have filled that role. Would it have been great? No. Defensively, is he great? No. Again, strikes out a lot. Yes. He's still better than Bobby Dahlbeck, and he's definitely better than Franchi Cordero. <laughs> so you traded that guy for Austin Davis, who is a journeyman, left-hander, late 20s, Nothing special about him. And he sucked in this series. And again, I just, I, I waited a little bit more when you give up a ton of runs against the Pittsburgh Pirates, who have a laughable offense. So, again, it's just, this is the guy that High and Plume put his trust in for your bullpen. And what do we say going into this year? It's like, really? This is the bullpen you're going to go with? And all the Bloom and I are like, oh, trust High and Trust Hyam. Trust the process. Hyam's got it figured out. This is what he gave you. A lefty like Austin Davis, who, yes, he can strike out guys every now and then, but, again, ERA close to six on the year. Gives up a ton of runs against bad teams. What value does this guy have? It, it just, the, it's frustrating, not just because of the Chavis part. Like, that's, that's sort of a side thing, personal thing for me, just because I was a big Michael Chavis guy. But the larger point is, the, the bullpen construction. This team had a bullpen problem all year, going into this year, actually. And this was Haim's answer, was guys like Austin Davis. It's just not good enough. It was never good enough. And it's costing you games now. And it's cost you games all year. So I just, again, put him in the same bin with Winkowski. I'm done with these guys. I don't need to see them ever again. Get them off my team. Well, unlike Winkowski, I think this is a guy that won't be on the team for very long. I think he might be pitching his last innings with the Red Sox this week. If we look at Matt Strom coming back, look at some of the other options. I know Paxson we won't see this year. We're not going to see Chris Sale this year. Those are two lefties that probably would be in that 
spot already. I wouldn't mind seeing Matt Strom come up and you lose Familia for Matt Strom, so you have two lefties. And then, honestly, I'd rather have Caleb Ort than, than Davis at this point. Davis is no good. Uh, I have no interest in watching him pitch. I think him and Kevin Ploiecki are both prime DFA candidates as we move forward here. You know, Davis had some really good runs in the first half, like long scoreless streaks where teams just weren't hitting him. And one of my complaints was why is he being used in low leverage or in games when we're way behind or way ahead? I just couldn't figure it out, but maybe they knew something. Maybe they knew if you used him in critical situations, he, he wasn't as good as what the, um, what the numbers suggested, which is unfortunate. I mean, coming in with a five, nothing lead in game one after Nick Pavetta was borderline brilliant should have been a low pressure situation, but suddenly it's a two run game after Austin Davis leaves. So, um, so yeah, this could be it for him. Um, it's weird because I, I feel like Strom fell off the face of the earth. He got hit with, I think, a comebacker in the hand. Was that what it was? Yeah, bruised bruised palm on his throwing hand. Okay. And so he'll be back. And the interesting thing about that is he was he looked like he was cruising to a decent contract this year for a team that was going to be willing to overpay a little bit. But perhaps with the missed time... Maybe that plays into our hands a little bit and makes him signable uh, for next year because you're you're going to need a lefty. I mean, name another one besides him that you have much faith in in that bullpen. I mean, the Darwin's in experience has failed. You already shipped off Diekman. Josh Taylor is probably never going to pitch again for at least the Red Sox. Uh, I'm missing one, I think, in there, but you're going to need a lefty and Strom has been pretty solid in a, in a decent sample size. So I wonder well, if uh, maybe you have to give him an extra year, but wouldn't hate it. I, I think actually that this injury, if anything benefits Strom's contract outlook, because he's not throwing the extra 35 innings against the American league East. And it's going to make his numbers look a lot better when it comes down to it. When he comes back next week against Minnesota and his last three appearances are Minnesota, Cincinnati, and Kansas City, and he goes for nine scoreless innings, Bloom can point to that guy and say, that, that's our guy for next year. Don't worry. Bullpen's taken care of. We've discovered Matt Strom. And not go get somebody. I'd rather he just blow up. Yeah, and, and he's kind of in the same camp as Sawamura, in my opinion, that like, because he's missed some time, that's always been Strom's problem in his career. That you know, he's missed a lot of time, missed time with a knee injury before this. So a lot of teams will avoid him because they'll go, Well, geez, this guy, he just he's on the IL all the time. So yeah, he he might be a guy again like Salamora that the Red Sox just bring back because they don't have to pay premium prices for him. Because otherwise, if you want a good lefty in your bullpen, which they desperately need. You'd have to go and, you know, 
I, I, I don't know who free agent left-handers will be, but you'd have to pay through the nose to get a really good one that can pitch in high-leverage situations. And like I said earlier, we know High and Bloom's not going to do that. So he'd rather bring back a guy like Strom who will come back on short money just because he's missed so much time and he'll be a little bit cheaper. Yeah, I guess the point I was trying to make with Strom is right now he's off the radar, and that's where if we want to bring him back, we want him to stay off the radar for other teams. That way that way we can uh, sign him more favorably you know, to what suits us. And as far as Bloom getting a guy, it's probably going to be another Diekman-type guy who he's just going to throw a little bit of money at and hope it works. And the Diekman experience wasn't terrible. I mean, he was good in spots and bad in others. But, you know, I'm sure we're all kind of glad we're not committing $4 million to him uh, next year. He had a, I can't remember if it was a team option or a vesting option for a third year, which sounded insane because he's 35. You know, how much do you want to commit to a aging uh, reliever? But, but that's, and I, I'm resigned to the fact that Bloom's just never going to sign a reliever. And I'm kind of fine with it. I think we're always going to be able to develop one or two. Um, it, it's easier to do that than develop a starter. And, I I just kind of trust the pitching program that they'll identify guys that that are viable. And you, you know, I'm you, glad you do because I don't. Any anyone throwing the the baseball for the Red Sox organization probably going to suck at the major league level if we develop them in the minors. That's what I've come to. I haven't seen a good pitcher come out of the Red Sox organization since John Lester. Well, I was still again talking about relievers, but um, you got how can Whitlock for the super long term. So I, I think those are your, your real high leverage guys. But, but I mean, we definitely, I mean, this organization needs a guy like Bayo to really break out next year. And I, I'm, you know, he, he had to face some lefty heavy lineups in the race and they were able to manipulate that pretty extremely. <laughs> but, um, I'd be lying if I said my optimism wasn't, uh, you know, a, a little lower uh, as far as to what his ceiling is and how much he'll be able to help. But I certainly hope he, um, you know, he comes out blazing and, uh, you know, ends up resembling more of what we saw as he came up through double A and triple A next year. Jason. Yeah, I was just going to say, don't worry. He'll sign your favorite guy, Sean Doolittle. Here he comes. Uh, Sean Doolittle's a free agent. He'll be 36. That's right in Hyams' wheelhouse. Oh, my God. (laughs) Sean Doolittle. I think I might have a Doolittle jersey from, like, 2010 somewhere from when he was the old man on the Washington Nationals the first time around. Awkward story. Of all the people to ever block me, Sean Doolittle's wife has blocked me on Twitter. I was arguing with her about COVID, which I won't go down that rabbit hole on the podcast. But uh, as I was arguing with her, I didn't uh, realize that it was his wife. Um, And then uh, found out otherwise later on. So, um, yeah, kind of a weird one to to be blocked. I'm still blocked by um, who is the Nesson lady that just got done? 
Um, oh my God. Garen Austin blocked me. I still can't figure that one out. I went through my tweets. I didn't, I didn't say anything snide about her at all. I, I think I must've been just like hardcore trashing a player and maybe that's what set her off. I was like, oh, I'm not looking at this guy's tweets anymore. Yeah. And these were all on my personal account, by the way, not the bastards account. Oh, trust me, they, they read the Bastards account too, Terry. They just don't <laughs> I had a, I'm not going to mention this one, but I had a doozy the other night. But luckily, no uh, no blowback from it. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, I shouldn't be tweeting after 11 p.m. Uh, okay, so who's up? I'm up. My dud for the series... I have to go with J.D. Martinez, uh, 0 for 8. He did draw three walks in the second game, but his power has evaporated. Only one home run since July 10th. And I was fine with it in the first half because he was just raking doubles like a machine. I think he was first or second in the league uh, for a couple months. So I'm like, that That version of J.D. is fine. I'll, I'll take that. As long as Devers and Bogarts are getting on base in front of them, uh, you know, that's fine. But uh, things are continuing to drop, and I don't remember seeing this at any point, Not at least in the second half of the season. We saw Poppy. I mean, there were a couple of years where, like, Jesus, the guy lost it in 09 and 2010. Um, but those were early in the season, and, and he figured it out. But... I haven't seen this before in the second half of the season on the Red Sox of a player of JD's magnitude. Cause if you're in the month of May or June here, you're like, Oh, he's probably coming back. You, how do you replace that? You have to bring him back. Now I'm like, are we even going to give him the qualifying offer? Cause it's looking like a, a hardcore negative at the moment. So he's, he's down to fifth. In the uh, batting order, Verdugo has kind of taken over that four spot, as we said earlier. And it's hard to imagine an October run without a productive J.D. Martinez. Jason, thoughts? He His swing looks slow. He looks like he's swinging underwater. Um, it's just, he's either late on the fastball and it's slicing to the left or he's too early on stuff and he's pulling it foul. I can't remember the last time JD Martinez made like barrel, true barrel contact on a hit. It's just, I feel like a lot of his base hits even just, he was late on the swing, but he's able to hit it the opposite way and able to muscle it out there. Um, he just looks, he looks so slow right now and like you said the power is just completely gone and a lot of it has to do with that he just he can't make true perfect contact anymore so i don't know if that's more of a like physical thing that his swing is slow or if it's a reflexes thing or if he's just mentally not there i mean we've seen him the 2020 season i still maintain he just quit i mean we've seen him quit before he absolutely quit the covid year he had no interest in playing that year. It was very obvious. Um, he chalked it up to not being able to have his little iPad in the in the dugout where he could watch his previous at-bats, but I think he just quit. I, I don't think he's so much quitting this year. I think he's more just maybe unsure about his future, maybe knows that he's you know not long for this team. I, I think that he's 
he stated in the past that he wants to retire as a Red Sox, and maybe he's kind of seen the writing on the wall of, hey, I'm, you know, I'm underperforming, and they may not even give me the QO because, again, his GM doesn't want to spend money. So maybe his, he knows that his GM looks at him and goes, well, he has no use for me. He's not going to sign me to a multi-year deal for any any sort of money. So maybe he just knows he's gone and he's resigned to that and that's affecting him. I don't know what it is. I, But all I can tell you is you watch J.D. Martinez play. You watch him at the plate. He just he can't keep up. He cannot keep up. He can't catch the fastball anymore. So it, it's, it's a shame. It's a shame that it happened this quickly because generally it's like a progressive sort of thing but when you look at his power numbers since 2017 when he or 2018 rather they've gone down big time his home run count has gone down by 10 or more every single year since then so the power is quickly leaving him and it'd be one thing you know i i brought it up earlier this year like you said terry if he was a doubles hitter and he just kept getting on base and still hit at a high clip and was a doubles guy with less power you'd kind of take that because you got Devers, you have other power hitters in this lineup, supposedly they're underperforming this year, but this is worse than that. He he's, he's not even getting like, he's not even hitting gappers anymore. He doesn't even have that in him. He just hits base hits and draws walks. That's it. And the average is down to two seventy three now. Um, obviously defensively, you can't put him anywhere. So his value is kind of shot. And I don't think he's worth a QO at all. I quite frankly, I think that you're looking at a guy who they're just going to let him walk at the end of this year. And that's that. And I don't know where he's going to go. I don't know what kind of contract he'll get with his new team, but yeah, I, I think you're looking at sort of the beginning of the end of JD Martinez. Yeah. I think uh, let's play a little game here. Anyone know where the Red Sox rank in the major league in home runs? Uh, it's probably in the twenties at this point, 22nd, 23rd. Yeah. Bottom 10, 19th. Okay. Between the Pittsburgh pirates and the Cincinnati reds. It's brutal. Anyone want to guess where we are in slugging percentage? Similar. Yeah. 12th. Actually doing okay. there. doing okay. There. We still lead in doubles by about 20 over the Dodgers. But that's because they've hit 45 more home runs than us. We're also 11th in runs. This team is not slugging the way that we thought they would. JD's right at the heart of that. And Jason, I think you hit the nail on the head. He doesn't have the easy power that he used to have. And so he's cheating to try to pull the ball. And he's looking for those home runs. And every time he tries to pull the ball, he ends up being way out in front. And he's popping it up. He's fouling it off, and then he's getting the high fastball that he used to absolutely take pitches to right field, and they would cry about how good he was. And it's either a ground ball through the, the first, second base hole, or he's it's a lazy fly ball to right. That used to be something he could drive, and it would have a chance to get in the gap or into the bullpen every time. It's no longer the case. This is uh, interesting. So... Jason's right about the drop in, in home runs. Let's see. Let's go back to 2018, like he said. 
Uh, JD in 2018 had 43 home runs, dropped down to 36 in 2019. And 43 is off the charts anyway for most players. Um, Only seven in 2020. We're going to discount that. So he goes from 36 in 2019 down to 28 in 2021 and then just nine this year. I mean, if he gets to 12 or 13, that would be huge at this point, but I doubt he will. Here's what's interesting beyond that. He's still tied for fourth right now in doubles for 2022. I think that speaks more to how good his first half was, but he is tied for fourth with Paul Goldschmidt. Matt Olson is third. Jose Ramirez is second. And Freddie Freeman leads all of MLB in doubles with 39. Here's the other thing, just speaking to the power. So Martinez, uh, nine home runs tied for fourth with Goldschmidt, who has 29 home runs. So Goldschmidt has 20 more. Uh, Matt Olson, 25 home runs. That contract's working out okay for, um, for the Braves. Cause I mean, he's, he's third in, in doubles and, and you've got Freeman that's, that's first, but they still got a top three guy. But anyway, so, uh, then Ramirez, 22 home runs on the year. And then Freeman's surprisingly only has 16, but still, robust in every other category freeman well, why do you need to hit home runs when you have nine all-stars in your lineup i mean yeah no I'm, no pressure on freddie freeman and he's hitting 321 with a 398 on base which is on par with how he's been for most of his career so first ballot hall of famer for sure there for freeman i just wonder i'm, I'm going off the tracks here but i mean are we going to regret maybe not being aggressive for Freddie Freeman here in a, in a few years? Cause I think he's going to be good for the life of that deal. For the most part, I think he signed through his age 38 season. I think first base is fine for a guy with a contract like that. And I, I'm never going to blame bloom for not doing it, but he was there for the taking. And if bloom wanted him, he could have got him. I think well, Freddie chooses Boston over the Dodgers. I, I agree with that. I also think it's easy to say that when the lineup is the way it is. We didn't know that JD was going to have this sharp a decline. We didn't know that Xander Bogarts would turn into Dustin Pedroia, right, and hit 300 but have no power at all. And we, we didn't know that Rafi Devers was going to get hurt in June and hit 155 over the last 30 games. There was supposed to be a lot more juice in this lineup. And I think it's easy to look back and say, well, we should have done this or we should have done that as far as the offense goes. Uh, none of the offensive moves really – I'm not going to bemoan any of those. I'm, I'm just going to bemoan the pitching because we knew five times over this wasn't enough. I, I think the biggest factor, though, in not signing him was Bloom – and I thought so as well that Casas would be up by late May, early June, and it just never happened because of the ankle injury. But Jason, any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, I don't think the Red Sox would have regretted it if they had done like what the Yankees do with Anthony Rizzo, 
where they just they brought him in and he's he's been a really good piece for them and he's not their permanent first baseman but he's a good holdover piece like you said for whenever Castus is ready um i wouldn't have regretted it if they had traded for luke voigt now the yankees wouldn't have given him to you because you're a division rival but they're looking to give him away he gave him away to san diego he's been pretty decent over there um but if they had just gotten a semi-decent veteran first baseman just to be a placeholder until Casas is ready, then no, I, I wouldn't have regretted losing out on Freddie Freeman because, again, supposedly you have your first baseman of the future. He's just not here yet. He's still in AAA. So, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where, like Job said, it, it's sort of a recency bias. It's easy to look back now and regret not signing Freddie Freeman because he's had a really good year and looks like he'll be pretty good over the stretch of that contract. But he would have blocked Tristan Casas. And then it's like, then if you sign Freeman, then it comes down to, you know, if you sign Freeman to a long-term contract, are you also going to sign Devers? And if you do that, then what do you do with Casas? So I still think that would have been a weird jumble. I still wanted Freddie Freeman. I still would have loved to have him. But at the end of the day, over the mega contract, I would have taken just a veteran, uh, competent first baseman to hold that position until Costas is ready. He's here now. He's uh, about 100 games late, but he's here. And Eric Hosmer fills that void, I think, pretty nicely. Well, Hosmer only has seven hits right now, which to me is is a little depressing, but he, he gives you the defense, which we needed badly, so... Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him going forward. Do we really keep him? Like it's, it's a really awkward fit. You, you it, can't not because he's too cheap to get rid of. And that's the Heim Bloom method. Well, it just depends on what you do with DH. If JD comes back on a cheap deal uh, on a rebuild it deal, which I think is far fetched, but who really knows at this point? We're just he's in just such uncharted waters. But I just I don't think it's a given, and we're so lefty heavy too, uh, that which complicates it. And Casas is a lefty, so you're you can't even have a straight platoon there at first. But but Hosmer hits for reverse splits. He's actually better against lefties than he is against righties. And Casas and Hosmer are from the same high school. They train together in the offseason. They have a relationship. I, th- I think there's a chance that there's a reason Hosmer's here beyond just this season. It's, it's the glove, and it's the mentor quality. The ability to get on base is still there. I mean, he hits 270. He still gets on base. Um, I don't love Hosmer. Don't get me wrong. But I care about defense so much more at first base now than I ever thought I would. I mean, the Red Sox are still paying Manny Ramirez $2 million a year. Like, there are some contracts on this team that, that stink. I don't think Hosmer's one of them. So at this point, why wouldn't you keep Edward Hosmer? Well, that's the one saving grace from it is he's essentially free. But um, but what if he nets you like a, a Joe Kelly-type reliever in the offseason? I think there is a little bit. Then of- adios. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. There's there's a little bit of value there. So, and you know, Bloom loves to. That's his favorite thing. So, um, so I. That's what I'm saying. There's just a million different scenarios with with him, but you could also trade him in the middle of next season for something as well. 
to address that need because I mean it's not a given that that Casas is going to be able to stay up and hit at a decent enough clip. I hope they don't go the Bobby Dahlbeck route with him and just ruin him. You know that would who really knows anymore? But but yeah. Anyway, let's get into this uh, this Baltimore series. So. Matchups uh, look pretty good for us. Uh, we'll get into the first one here. We got Cutter Crawford going on Friday night at uh, 7.05. If you're wondering why I'm distracted suddenly, um, Boston versus Baltimore is a Sunday night ESPN game. Uh, uh, it's in Williamsport. Oh, is that what it is? Oh, that's the Little League World Series. All right. Makes a little more sense now. All right. We were just on ESPN against the Yankees. So I'm like, why would they have thought before the season that this would be, you know, a game to have? Anyway, Crawford versus Lyles pulling up Lyles uh, last three right now. Uh, Let's see. August 14th against Tampa Bay kind of got knocked around a little bit. Four and one third innings gave up five hits, four earned runs, struck out nine, though against Tampa. So uh, not a super great start. Uh, He pitched against Texas before that on August 8th, five and two thirds innings, gave up eight hits, two earned runs, only struck out one uh, that game. Did I say Texas? That was against Toronto because three games ago was against Texas. That was six and one third, seven hits, uh, one earned run, struck out seven. So Lyles isn't coming off of a bad few games here. Um, and uh, we've got him against Cutter Crawford. I, I don't know how concerned we really are. But, Jason, how do you see that game? Yeah, I, I like the Red Sox in that one. Um, I don't think Lyles is, is very good. He's given up 19 home runs on the year, so he is susceptible to the long ball. Um, hopefully the Red Sox bring their bats. I mean <laughs> – with this offense, you never know. Um, but I'm a I'm a Cotter Crawford guy. I, I like him. I think he's good. Um, and this this Baltimore lineup is kind of in flux right now. Trey Mancini's not there anymore, so it's guys like Santander and uh, Jorge Mateo that are kind of carrying them. Adley Rushman's had a good second half, so he's starting to hit too. Um, but they're I don't know. They're sort of in in a little bit of a weird limbo right now because. They're contending and and they're still kind of in it, but their GM sold at the deadline, so they're kind of in a weird spot. And uh, I just think Crawford's a better pitcher. I, I think he's been he's better than Lyles. Lyles is a journeyman who hasn't been bad throughout his career, but hasn't really been great either. He's a back end starter, so I like the Red Sox to take that one. I also like the Red Sox to take this one, but I'm gonna piss off a lot of our listeners here when I make this comparison. Adley Rutschman is is the real deal, and he looks a lot, a lot like a young Jason Veritek down there as the centerpiece of that Orioles team for the future. The second he comes up, they start to win games. He came up with a lot of their pitchers. They're young guys that are now performing well in the rotation, have all been pitching to him for two, three seasons in the minors. I I worry about facing the Orioles lineup when Rutschman is catching or facing the Orioles pitching when Rutschman is catching because he has excellent command of, of what they are able to throw in what counts in what situations. The only thing that really doesn't worry me about the Orioles is offensively 
they don't have enough to get through our bullpen in this game. The only benefit to losing to Pittsburgh is you didn't use Whitlock. You didn't use Barnes. I can't believe I'm using his name in this conversation. Uh, you didn't use your high leverage guys. And they're available tomorrow night for the inevitable one-run game that we're going to play. This should be a decent matchup for Cutter Crawford, who has uh, gone five-plus in, uh, let's see, five of his last six outings. So um, it would be a nice continuation. I mean, he's a guy who's fighting for his life. Like, this year is his one shot to try to be a bona fide major league starting pitcher. So we're all rooting for him. Um, I, I'd like to see a, a couple more strikeouts from him, but I don't have any reason to, uh, pick against the Red Sox in game one. So, uh, Joe, was that a pick for the Red Sox? Yes. Okay. Reluctantly clean sweep in game one for the Red Sox. Game two, we know Job's picking in this one. Michael Waka versus Kyle Bradish, Bradish probably actually. Um, he has. Let's go through his last three starts. Uh, Bradish uh, has pitched uh, two of his last three were actually against Toronto. One on August fifteenth, four and two thirds innings pitched. Uh, against the Blue Jays, gave up six hits, three earned runs. He did walk four, struck out five, so kind of a shaky start there, but that's a pretty powerful offense. Start before that was uh, a little bit better, five and one-thirds, gave up five hits, three earned runs, struck out four, and then uh, on August 3rd against the Texas Rangers, Bradish pitched uh, five full innings, only three hits given up, one earned run, struck out five. So another guy who hasn't been pitching terrible lately, despite his uh, ERA on paper. Um, Jason, how do you see that one going? Yeah, I'm going to take the Red Sox in this one as well. Um, Michael Walker, you know, probably one of your most consistent best starters all season. Kyle British has faced the Red Sox twice, and he has an ERA over nine against you. So we've hit him in the past. We've beat him up. He's not that good. Um, his last couple of starts, not too bad. August hasn't been a bad month for him. Um, but I don't think this guy's anything special. I think we've teed off on him in the past. So I think the Red Sox will take game two as well. Well, British sucks. He's got a 177 whip. Um, he allows almost two runners to reach base every inning that he pitches. Um, and he has almost a seven ERA on the season. I don't see any scenario in which we lose this game as long as Michael Walker makes the start. And I, I don't know that that's ever for certain at this point in the season. But if Michael Walker starts, we win game two. And we're at that point, hopefully ready to bypass the Orioles uh, in the wild card standings. Michael Waka, surprisingly this year, has not made a start against the Orioles. And I feel like we played them a number of times in April and May, but, um, but no starts. 
There's nothing. We still have 10 games left against them, right? So there's a chance he'll face them three times here down the stretch. Something like that, yeah. Um, I just, you know, this is the second start in a row where we're facing uh, an opposing pitcher who's had a nice little run. And I'm not concerned at all about our starters, but I do think our offense is a little bit anemic and we all expected to win tonight against the pirates and it just didn't happen. So I'm just kind of hoping that something sparks here uh, for the Red Sox. Maybe Kike goes off and the team kind of falls in line behind him. But um, I I still have to go with uh, face value here and take the Red Sox. Uh, so Sunday on the uh, ESPN game, that's going to be interesting uh, in Williamsport. Probably not quite as interesting as the Field of Dreams game uh, last week, but we got Nick Pavetta going against Dean Creamer. Now, I would like to start off by saying if your name's Creamer and you're an athlete, you better be good because... If Devers, Martinez, and one or two other guys have, uh, you know, an explosive game, Creamer's going to get creamed. Uh, So here we go. Last three for him. Stop me if you haven't heard me say this four times in the last three minutes. Um, Another pitcher who's, he's actually looks pretty good on paper all the way around, but he certainly had a, um, a decent three-game run here. August 16th against the Blue Jays, Creamer pitched seven full innings, gave up uh, seven hits on two earned runs, struck out six. He did kind of, we actually tuned him up a little bit um, on August 11th, five and two-thirds. We got four runs off of him. Um, that was the one-game uh, series that was officially a series. I'm using air quotes right now. Um, but five and two thirds, four earned runs, still struck out six. And then against the Pittsburgh Pirates, who, you know, everybody loves to play, six and one third, gave up uh, four hits, no earned runs, struck out two. Uh, he got the win uh, in that one. So. Jason, thoughts on Pavetta versus Creamer? Yeah, um, I can't in good conscience predict a Red Sox sweep, and I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> this is the game. Yeah, this is the one. I actually think Pavetta will pitch well. I, I don't think it's going to be on him. I think that you're going to see a close game going through the most part, and I think the bullpen will end up blowing it somehow. Um, Creamer's... Not bad. He, he's actually been pretty decent for them this year. I know the Red Sox tuned him up a little bit uh, two starts ago, but I just think that he's going to hold it down. And again, with this offense, I, I just don't trust them right now. I don't trust them to do what they should be doing. And I think they're going to hand it over to the bullpen and either a tied or close game and the bullpen will give it up. Um, it's a Sunday night primetime game. I feel like the Red Sox suck on Sunday night primetime. So I just feel like this is going to be the one that somehow is going to get away from them. So I'll take Baltimore in game three. Well, Jason kind of stole my thunder here, um, but this is going to be the Alex Cora game. And when I say that, I mean 
this is going to be the game where I think he manages for the win. Not for tomorrow, not for what's down the stretch. This is going to be similar to the Yankees series where it's going to be a close game. We're probably going to be losing in the late innings. And I see him reaching for a, a Garrett Whitlock in, you know, the eighth inning down three to two. And if the offense can pull it out, it'll be great. We have an off day the next day. If not, it's going to leave a bitter taste in our mouth because the next thing you know, we're still going to be four games out of the wild card. And we'll be facing the next three teams ahead of us in the standings coming up. So I think we lose game three. But I think there's a, a chance for magic here, depending on how Cora manages game three. I'm still going to say the Red Sox. I feel you guys, and I I feel like we're not going to get the sweep, but I just I still like the matchup better, and I, I have to pick the matchup. Um, here's the, the bad news, though. Um, Baltimore's had a great bullpen all year. Uh, they're currently ranked fourth right now in all of MLB. If you're wondering who's above them, it's the Dodgers, Yankees, and Astros are number one. I think the Yankees and the Astros have been flip-flopping up there, but the Yankees did just lose Clay Holmes to the uh, injured list. They've lost Michael King. Um, picked up a couple of guys at the trade deadline, so perhaps they're still going to be pretty stout. Just out of curiosity, since I'm on it, where do you think the Red Sox rank as far as bullpens? Eight. I, oh, I would say late teens, like 16, 17. And, Joe, do you think they're eighth? Yeah. They are ranked number 26. <laughs> there, goes, of, there goes Pat. In all of Woo, MLB, that's, so. that, that's what happens when you put Garrett Whitlock in the rotation. Please, right. please take note. Garrett Whitlock's the best reliever in baseball. Don't take him out of his role. Yeah. Um, is what it is, but uh, if the Red Sox are going to win at least two out of these three, um, they better do it early because that's that's going to be a pretty good bullpen coming in. So I thought it was a trick question, Terry. I'm not going to lie. No, I, really I just did. I I was just curious to see where Baltimore was because I knew they were they were up there, but uh, so I I just wanted to throw a reminder of how crappy our bullpen is, but. Anyway, uh, how long do you think this episode was? An hour? <laughs> oh, no, longer, longer. This is the longest episode of the season for regular season episodes. One hour and 30 minutes. Uh, so we will shut the hell up and uh, come back on Sunday to talk about what did happen in this Baltimore series. Uh, everyone have a good weekend. Take care.